Hi, guys, and welcome back to The Climate Lawyer, a podcast about the business and law of climate change for lawyers, people who work in the industry, and the climate curious. I'm your host, Rich Kim, an American lawyer at Clifford Chance, Germany, and part of the firm's climate M&A team. Today, we're going to talk about climate as part of venture capital investing. Venture capital, or VC firms, are companies that invest in startups, usually at a fairly early stage with the hope that they'll grow to be like the next Airbnb or or Spotify. Uh, To help illuminate that, I'm joined by a VC investor and a very special guest. Mona, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks for for having me. Um, So yeah, my name is Mona. I'm part of the investment team at a venture capital um, fund in New York called Union Square Ventures. Um, we invest in early stage um, startups, and most recently, a year and a half ago, we started doubling down on climate and, and raised the climate fund that I'm excited to talk about more. Awesome. Thanks for joining today. Thank you for and, having me. Great. And to start, you have a really cool and international background. Um, could you maybe describe that a bit? And how did that lead you to climate and ultimately becoming an, an investor at, at Union Square Ventures? Uh, yeah, my my path is um, yeah anything but linear. Um, so yeah, I, I'm from Saudi Arabia, born and raised. I started my career working at the United Nations in New York. So I was part of the economics and financial committee and that was my first intro into um, climate as a space because my, my education background is in economics. Um, so at the committee, when I joined them, we were researching topics that are important for member countries. And that was 2013, 2014. So climate and the preparation for COP21 and Paris Agreement was were just starting. Um, so, yeah, I got quickly interested in that space and I later went from the that committee to joining the United Nations Environment Program in Geneva. So I left New York and I moved to Geneva. I enjoyed the research aspect at the UN and the breadth of topics I was covering related to climate. But eventually I, I thought a career at the UN made me a few steps removed from the impact of my research um, or my work. I was just far from the action. So I decided to leave and I was considering what are the what job I could do where I could leverage my research background, um, stay broad and not specialize very quickly in one niche area and also be closer to um, impact and and being part of, of the impact itself. So I left the UN and I decided that investing could potentially work um, for me as a career. So I started my investing career focusing on later stage investing, mostly in emerging markets. So I lived in Kenya and then I lived in Dubai and I was investing across East Africa, the MENA region and um, Central Asia. I enjoyed living in many places and investing in in many places. I also enjoyed later stage um, investing and learning financial modeling. but later stage investing sometimes can be repetitive because you're doing a lot of financial modeling and less research in the sectors that you're investing in. Um, 
so I decided that I want to move um, a bit early stage where it's more creative, people driven, forces you to think a lot about the future and imagine like things that haven't existed um, yet. And uh, I've been mostly investing in climate related areas all that time. So I've basically most of my career has been in, in climate. Um, so yeah, when I decided to move early stage, I wasn't in the US, I was in the Middle East and I felt like most of the climate tech investing was happening in the US at the time and probably still until um, now. So I thought I was going to do my MBA in the US and then that would be my entry um, into VC in the US, but COVID happened. Um, so I couldn't go to do my MBA, I ended up deferring my MBA. And I thought of doing a pre-MBA internship. Um, so I, I was in the Middle East, I was in Dubai and doing a pre-MBA internship at Union Square Ventures in New York. Time zones were, were not fun, but I loved the work. I enjoyed it and they gave me a full-time offer. So I decided to not do my MBA and join them um, full-time. And um, it's been it's been fun and, and exciting to invest and, and learn about climate with the, with the rest of the team. I knew that this question would elicit a, a, a cool response. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's awesome. And I mean, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's interesting because the climate is. Um, I think there are many. I think having an international background and traveling a lot. Um, is good for every sector, like for every, what, whatever you do, that background is, is always helpful because it's just, um, you're exposed to different things. Living abroad teaches you to be patient, connect with people who are different from you, be comfortable with like not knowing and being open-minded and curious, but in climate specifically, because it's like the climate crisis knows no borders. We need to always be thinking um yeah just thinking of other markets how solutions work differently in different locations thinking about policies and we've all seen how connected we are as um yeah as an economy and energy system and mineral supply so i feel like the international background is helpful either way but in climate specifically more so and i guess to even go to to your work what do you think about climate and I guess more specifically climate tech as part of a VC investing strategy? Like how does that position USV in comparison to other VC firms and, and what does your daily work look like? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So when thinking about um, climate tech VC, um, so yeah, it's worth clarifying the difference between generalist and then specialist like climate um, investors. So USV is a, is a generalist VC. Uh, we've been around since 23, um, but the climate fund was the result of uh, the climate fund. We raised it last year, uh, but the partners and the team in general have been thinking about climate and investing personally and a little bit from the core fund um, in climate for a while. But um, we're generalists, we're not experts in, in climate, we're not scientists. Um, we have a climate fund um, that invests in early stage and we like to partner with 
um, investors who bring in the special, like the specialized technical um, background. So in terms of the value of generalist VC first, and then I'll go into um, USC because I get asked that question a lot is what can a generalist VC bring to climate? Um, so on generalist VC, I've been, uh, I'm excited to see more of them also like investing in climate. A lot of our co-investors in our core fund in our non-climate deals are now speaking to us about climate. And I think they do bring a lot of, um, they have a lot of potential to bring logo network value to climate innovation. They help a lot with recognition in the market, with hiring top talents. Um, and they also see so many things. So they could make associations between broad fields that maybe a specialist can't always make or is not as familiar with. So we think it's a perfect combo to co-invest and partner with um, specialized investors and, and technical investors. Um, we learn a lot from them. They learn a lot from us. We enjoy working together. And then the second part of your question was um, on USB specifically. It's the one I thought a lot about before I joined USB full-time. Um, in fact, I spent probably hours chatting with Andy, who is one of our partners, um, about it. Like, what's USB DNA? Um, what make USB special? Um, and I think there are a couple of things. Like, one thing that most people know is USB is a small fund size. We're thesis driven. So that help us um, be focused, uh, help us to build conviction and to be great partners because we are, yeah, we have a small fund. We think a lot before we invest. So when we invest, we are all in. Um, but then broader than that, um, we also have an amazing network team. So when we invest in companies, and founders, they don't only get access to the partner or the investor who made the deal, but they also get access to the entire firm USB and they get access to the other CEOs in our portfolio. And we think the, the collective intelligence of our network increases with each new investment we make. And we're excited to make more of those in, in climate. Um, so yeah, our founders are always in touch. Our founders learn more from each other than we could possibly ever teach them. They're in the same boat, and and we think it's a uh, it's great for them to be connected. And we try to facilitate that. And it's one of USB's um, yeah core um, core beliefs is that they we should build a network. And then lastly, which might seem um, simple or obvious. Uh, but it was my main reason actually for joining USB um, is people at USB are just good people. And it's, I've been observing how we make decisions and, and treat founders and, and co-investors and we're consistent in our values. So the way we show up and make decisions professionally are guided by the same values we practice in our personal lives. So that makes the job easy. You're always doing the right thing. You're always by the founder, you're not trying to extract the most value of that person or the co-investors, just like always doing the the right thing. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes there are many great investors, but I I care a lot about being a good investor, but around good investors are also good people. Um, they inspire me to be that as well. Mm -hmm. I find really interesting here. I mean, first, yeah. the, 
the generalist and specialist distinction, I mean, that, that really does make a lot of sense because I know that, you know, in the climate tech space, I mean, there are a lot of kind of mm-hmm. very specialized science-based problems mm-hmm. that a mm-hmm. lot of uh, these companies are looking to address and you know, having also a specialist on board who can help to assess these kinds of investments, which sound really important. I mean, it's kind of similar to, you know, I'm, I'm an M&A lawyer, but when I'm, I'm working on a transaction um, where, you know, for example, if it involves kind of a, a climate oriented deal mm-hmm. where or energy, you know, let, let's mm-hmm. take that example. Like I would then have specialist lawyers from other parts of the firm, from yeah. other parts of my office who would also be assisting because they are very much in the weeds of the of the regulatory environment and, you know, certain important aspects of the contract. So that's very much what, you know, what we do here, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it would be naive to assume that, um, yeah, you could just know the entire um, space, especially like complicated areas, for example, like nuclear, just by being a generalist um, investor. So we like to partner one thing I personally also really like to do is make sure I'm learning as much as possible about, about the company. For example, like sticking with nuclear, I will never learn as much to be a nuclear physicist, but I also want to learn enough to be able to be helpful and ask intelligent questions and, um, yeah, be able to also like talk about the company in different, um, spaces, whether it's for recruiting or fundraising. So it's important to know, um, but obviously we will never be as, um, as smart or knowledgeable about the founders themselves who spent sometimes years in, in these, um, yeah, spaces. That's, that's the nature of, of or the specialized support. investors as well. Yeah. Right. That's, that's the nature of, of bringing like the right parts together so that the sum are the, some of the parts are greater than I, 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 the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. There we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And as an investor, it's important. It's actually more important to be curious than to have a domain knowledge. Um, the domain knowledge you could always rely on. The founders, frankly, know more and probably not need the domain knowledge like from their investors. But then the curiosity and the broad thinking, I think, as an investor, is probably more valuable. I really like that a lot, um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just coming in and v- having that value around curiosity mm-hmm. rather than coming in with <laughs> purported yeah. expertise on every subject, which is just not, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. just not possible. Um, yeah. Cool. And and then your daily work then involves like kind of basically yeah. a lot of talk with um, companies, with founders, with uh, specialist investors, uh, things like that. So the, I think the day-to-day, it really varies a lot. But if I were um, to split, so typically my time is split between a couple of things. Like one is developing and refining our thesis on various like climate-related um, areas. So I either do this with our team. We spend a lot of time thinking together and, and talking together about the things we're seeing and how we think about them or I do a lot of reading on my own calls like with experts writing I I became um, 
I wasn't uh, really big into writing, but now I enjoy it a lot. And I think it's a great tool to help me think as well. I remember reading a quote somewhere that said, like, writing doesn't just communicate ideas, it generates them. And I think at USD and me personally, I'm a big believer in that. So that's, I spent some of my time on that. And then other parts of it on portfolio support. So that's whatever our founders or companies um, need. So whether it's reviewing their fundraising material or interviewing certain candidates or introductions they need. And then maybe the third um, part to it is, so yeah, thesis development, spending time with portfolio companies, and then the resourcing and, and due diligence. So I speak to founders a lot and other investors. And probably when it comes to time management, this is the area where I could be a bit more disciplined because I always enjoy speaking to founders and investors. It's always energizing, eye-opening, but sometimes you could get carried away with things that are outside of your, your thesis. Um, yeah, and then the next part maybe is in some um, fund management stuff like LPs reporting, like working on reserves or pacing models. Um, but yeah, I'd say broadly my the time is spent on, on these areas. I think being generous with your time and also, you know, having enjoying the writing process is must be great assets actually um, yeah i wouldn't say i enjoy it all the time i know it's valuable and i enjoy it sometimes sometimes it's hard to, to write especially when um, yeah sometimes it's just hard to write right and, and to put things in a in a very concise way i mean but i bet it's handy when it comes to like investment memos for example yeah actually our memos are quite um short but we like to write a lot um, in in public as well. We like to think in um, in public. So, for example, when we think about our different theses or what we're working on, we start with a framework and then we express what we're excited about um, in that thesis and post it and then have entrepreneurs or experts guide us or change that thesis. And like it's always um, a tourism, but I find writing and publishing and getting input, um, yeah, is a big part of it, not just on writing the memos, which is obviously like helpful as well, but having the public as well give me their um, input and letting me know whether I'm very off or I'm right or, yeah, it's fine. Right. I mean, I've seen um, that you guys post about when, when you're making investments or when you're kind of developing your thesis further. I think that that's great to, you know, kind of have it out there and take some, take some courage, right. To, you know, really kind of, you know, put your thoughts out there and want to then solicit that feedback. I, I almost wonder why more, why more of the VC industry isn't focusing as much on climate as USV or if just USV is kind of more ahead of the curve because I know, I mean, the VC industry is basically focused on pain points, right? On large mm -hmm. problems to, mm -hmm. um, develop, to develop solutions for. And, you know, among existing problems out there, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than, than climate change, right? And yeah. so I just wonder if it's kind of like, I mean, well, 
w- there was about 40 billion of VC investments in 2021, mm-hmm. but still this is ultimately like a drop in the bucket as compared to the size of the problem. Maybe it's just like we're at the the earlier stages of this. Yeah. No, I think you're you're right, and um, not just that, but even if you look at the VC um, investment, there is a much mismatch of climate venture dollars relative to the emission impacts of the area they are investing in. So a lot of the generalist VCs are investing in uh, micromobility or um, EVs in, in general, and that's obviously an important area. We invest in it as at USV as well. Um, transportation is a high emitting sector, but there is still, um, shying away from other, other areas. I think more, more will come. Um, and also better, um, I don't want to say education, but, but just understanding how different the time we're in now from the clean tech, um, era where a lot of investors got, uh, burned will probably be helpful because now the landscape is different. There is um, capital available for every stage, for all startups. Um, there is hopefully like either there is there are some policies that exist. There will more to come. There is consumer demand. There is like corporate commitments. The cost of so renewables. I think all of these will, yeah, will create more, will create more startups, more generous investors. VC investors will take notice, will invest. We're seeing a lot of them actually now already asking, talking about it, interested in it. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's it's the start of uh, something bigger. Right. I mean, the focus is is very warranted, and you know, I was just thinking there too, also that cheaper renewables also kind mm. of enables a lot of other oh, yeah, technologies, absolutely. right? Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Cheaper renewables, like you now find a lot of like off-takers that are willing to also unlock additional financing like debt or projects finance. Um, there is, yeah, it's just there are many ways to de-risk these um, investments and, and technology is not as expensive as it used to be. Yeah, batteries, renewable, like all of this is um, is helping helping the sector. And so this this, this brings us to our, our next question. I think we've kind of covered this a, a bit too which is great um mm-hmm. then w- what are you excited about when it comes to to climate tech I, you know that's probably a tough question because there's a lot of different companies that you invest in but you, maybe what is it about those companies or, or the areas that they work in or or how they go about tackling um climate change mm-hmm. um yeah that's a, that's a good question I can uh, maybe break it down. When we think of um, global uh, emissions, three quarter of that comes or can be tracked back to energy. And then we're assuming that we're going to electrify a lot of that. And I think we don't understand the magnitude of that transition. It's really hard to fathom and creates many problems that I'm hoping to meet entrepreneurs working on these problems. So it's challenging because most of our electricity is now coming from fossil fuel. So we need to replace that. And it isn't straightforward to know how to, what to replace it with. Renewables are great. They have their limitations. 
there is nuclear, there is geothermal, there is other solutions as well that we need to um, unlock. And then once you decarbonize your electricity source, then you need to double it and do so in a cost competitive way because one, um, you're gonna electrify many end uses like transportation and, and heating and buildings and, and many other, and then extend electricity and access to people who lack it. There are 750 million people today all over the world who don't have access to electricity. So you wanna extend electricity to them. And then you're gonna use electricity for things like e-fuel and hydrogen and um, yeah, DAC and all of these uses that are energy um, intensive. So I don't think we fathom just how massive that is. And then related to it is um, with electrification comes to decarbonize electricity. You need a lot of critical minerals that are going to be hard to source. They have their own issue as well um, in terms of like production and processing is intensive. It's concentrated in certain areas. Right. Um, the development time is very long. Reserves are they're available, but um, not in the quality we want. So these are all areas that are important and they're the backbone of the net zero economy. And I wish to see more founders working um, on them and understand they're really broad, but um, I spend a lot of my time thinking on that is if we're assuming we're gonna electrify many things, we're gonna increase electricity supply, um, we're going to have so many EVs, then how do we think about the requirements um, for that vision to be true? Um, uh, you're, you're, so, yeah. You're really like hitting on some really big pain points uh, here when it comes to, you know, when we're trying to shift to so much renewables, it's questions around storage, questions yeah. around transmission, questions around building out the grid further, and then your point around the availability of these kind of critical minerals is so good too when we think about how um how to source things like lithium nickel cobalt even aluminum i mean it's it's a these are really tough things that climate tech companies face right yeah 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 and um it's critical to um yeah to get them right because we've seen also Many of these create, um, yeah, geopolitics and, um, just things could, um, things could go wrong. And if we're reliant on them to decarbonize, then we need to make sure we have a secure supply chain that's transparent and, and reliable. Um, yeah. So very important. And I would love to meet, um, more founders in, in these areas. And then on, um, maybe specific, um, areas within uh, USV. So at USV, the Climate Fund broadly invests in um, our criteria or the high level thesis of the fund is um, we're gonna invest in three areas, companies that reduce emissions, draw down existing emissions or provide adaptation um, solutions to the climate crisis. Um, and the a recent investment that I've, I've been working on is, is in carbon um, removal. We've been thinking a lot about carbon removal. It's no question now that it's an important part of, of any climate effort. I think the IPCC recent report 
in fact, most almost all of their reports include carbon removal at the gigaton um, level in every scenario that help us reach um, the the Paris goals. Um, so yeah, when we think about carbon removal, it's it has many issues. It has issues with the existing options have their drawbacks and trade-offs. So when it comes to nature-based, they have issues around um, measurements, around permanence, sometimes around additionality. And then when it comes to technological, like direct air captures, they have issues with uh, price. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are a lot of trade-offs. So we've been thinking a lot about how do we build a portfolio approach for like how do we build a portfolio of different removal approaches and one thing we've been excited about and i've been spending a lot of time on is uh, microalgae so microalgae have a photosynthesis um conversion efficiency of basically six to eight percent and that's a lot compared to land plant which is at 0.1 to 0.3 so they're extremely efficient. Uh, but to date, most of the efforts have been focused on using the power of microalgae to make biofuel or pharmaceutical ingredients or food ingredients. And these are highly complex and expensive and lab-based. Um, so they don't add up to a meaningful carbon removal solution. Um, and one of our recent investments, a company called Brilliant Planet, uh, what they did is that they use microalgae um, as a to sequester CO2 at the fraction of the cost of comparable carbon removal. So their approach is um, they create the natural algae bloom that exists in, in nature. They recreate it in ponds in unused areas. So, for example, the desert, um, they're doing their first pilot in Morocco. Um, and this approach is simple. It's proven. Um, inputs are mostly seawater, sunlight. After harvesting, you don't do extensive processing because you're not trying to make extensive ingredients out of it. Um, you're just, it's solar dried and then buried in the desert. Um, and then you're able, yeah, it's like a high science, low engineering approach that helps you with, um, with removing a lot of a lot of carbon because it's very efficient uh, photosynthesis conversion. Um, so yeah, that's one one investment we're we're really excited about. And then we have um, a recent investment as well, another company called Shift EV. Uh, and Shift EV is um, they have a process they call it electrofitting. It's basically retrofitting a fleet to make them electric, and they're doing that in emerging markets. Um, and obviously transportation doesn't only have CO2 emissions, but issues with pollution, air quality, especially when it comes to emerging markets. And this company is electrifying um, fleets there. So you don't need to buy new expensive um, EVs. You can um, retrofit yours in just a couple of hours. Um, so yeah, they're always exciting companies in, in, every, uh, in every area and every market as well. And that's exciting because like we invest internationally and we invest in many sectors. But um yeah, it's it's hard to keep up. You know, on 
brilliant plan. I can only imagine the conversations that must have occurred with uh, specialists, as you mentioned before, in terms of just the level of having to get into the 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 science there. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. Raphael, who's the um, the chief scientist. Um, he actually even wrote a book on um, the miracle of photosynthesis and, and how it can save the planet. Um, and I've spent many, many hours with him. He's extremely generous with his time and just bringing me up to speed uh, in this area. And we partnered with uh, our co-lead in that investment is, is Toyota Ventures, who bring in a lot of experience in that space. They've been exploring, um, or they explored in the past biofuels. Um, so yeah, we we partner always with um, with with specialists, but we also learn, and it's fun to learn because I went from not knowing a lot about microalgae um, in just matter of like a few months. I it's shocking the amount of things you could you could learn uh, when you're around smart people. Um, so yeah, that's fun. It's awesome, and. Out of curiosity there, as just a, a last point, is it is their business model, is it also that they're kind of generating uh, carbon removal credits there Correct. or is it kind of still? OK, I see. Yeah. Um, and uh, we thought for a while is. Um, are we going to be comfortable making investments in companies where carbon removal or carbon credits is the main revenue mod, revenue source? Brilliant plant could utilize other options as well. But even if we just look at carbon credits alone, we think just in the voluntary market, there is enough demand for many, many companies to be um, successful. You've right. seen the Frontier Fund um, that's going to buy, um, yeah, um, carbon credits, like advanced. Yeah. yeah. It's just we're confident now that carbon credits or like the carbon markets will will evolve. And when we get asked the questions is like, are you worried about um, companies that earn their revenue purely through carbon credits? What's going to happen in like 10 years? And I'm like, if in 10 years um, we don't have carbon pricing, then we have bigger problems to worry about than our investments. Um, so hopefully I think we're in the, in the right direction in terms of, um, yeah, voluntary actions on and carbon and, and yeah, corporate right. commitments alone create enough market for many of these companies. Especially having like verifiable credits, right? I mean, I think that's a, exactly. a really huge aspect of of the that industry. Yeah, I mean, measurement is an important aspect of, of yeah market creation um, and value. So it's important to know also how to measure that. Um, and actually, maybe that's also another area I want to mention that I'm interested in and would love to. Um, spend more time on with like founders is is ocean. We know that oceans sequester a lot of CO2. Mm-hmm. The issue has been it's hard to measure. So that's why it's hard to sell um, or like to monetize on carbon credits through like ocean as a carbon removal. Um, and that would be an interesting area to see more more companies working on. Lots of fertile ground here, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, and so finally, um, I guess taking a, a bit of a, of a step back and looking at the industry as a whole, um, what do you think about the, the climate VC industry and maybe like one aspect you'd say that, that could use improvements and like, and then one aspect where 
the industry is really is getting things right? So maybe I'll start with the aspect for improvement because then we could end on a high note. Um, so the aspect that the industry could improve on, um, I mean, I mentioned earlier the, the mismatch of climate venture dollars to relative um, emissions impact or like sectors they're investing in. So that's like one, but the the second one is probably around um, not enough investing in developing countries and emerging markets. So for the past 12 months, uh, you've mentioned like climate tech funding reached, um, I think like 80 billion or, or something. And startups in developing countries accounted for only 4% of that. And that's obviously bad, especially if you think that emerging markets are expected to, they contributed the least to the climate crisis and they're expected to suffer the, the most. Um, the, yeah, emer emerging markets could lose 10 to 14% of their total economic value by the mid-century, mainly from the climate crisis. So I think we need to be investing more there. And it doesn't have to be ESG investing or concessional capital. There are many commercial um, opportunities and extremely attractive in, in emerging markets. So I want to see more investing in, in that space. That's so true. I mean, that's that's really been our view here, Clever Chance. I mean, we have offices all over the world, but our, a part of our strategy is also now focusing more on emerging markets and kind of expanding our business there because I think it's so true that, I mean, that there are a lot of opportunities and, and there's a lot of ways in which um, working on more business in emerging markets really kind of serves those communities too. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, we want to, we obviously started investing in emerging markets. We have investments in, in Brazil, India, Egypt, um, um, yeah, the Brilliant Planet has operations in Morocco, and we want to see more of that. I mean, one exciting thing that I'm seeing in um, in climate tech, not just VC, but climate tech broadly, like entrepreneurship and startups and VC, is historically in in the clean tech bubble, there was a focus on only experts and science scientists founding companies or starting companies in that area only scientists and engineers working in these companies but the interesting shift i'm seeing now is even within the usv non-climate portfolio we ask people when they when they leave the employee of our portfolio companies what they want to do next and almost everyone at all level and um, mentioned that they want to move to working in climate and this is um, exciting and promising, especially when you think that, or when you know that climate tech is not a sector, but it's a new way to look at the economy. So every sector could be a climate sector. And if everyone, not just scientists and engineers, are thinking about the climate crisis through the lens or the expertise they have, I think that's going to create a systematic change, like a, yeah, it's just a, uh, an economy-wide wide change that I'm excited to to see. And you know, I, basically, like the also the amount of talent, right? That and that is know, moving yeah. towards this space. I mean, I think that's that's very true what you're saying. And one thing that 
is really coming through for, for me at least is also how founder focused you are. I mean, that seems to be a, a real asset actually in, in the VC industry from, from my understanding that the more that investors can be founder focused, um, and support founders, I mean, the, the more value that, that VCs really bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah. Founders are, are leading the way. We're just along for the ride and, and we help if, if we can. Um, so yeah, it's important to be focused on that as well. Awesome. Well, this has been a great note to end on. Mona, thank you so much for joining today. Of course. Thank you for uh, having me. This is, um, this has been fun. Great. So, um, please for the listeners, uh, you can sub- subscribe to this podcast um, either by visiting our website or by um, finding the podcast in your um, podcast app of choice. We recently got added to Spotify, which is great. Um, you can email any questions or feedback to richard.kim at cliffordchance.com. And um, you can follow Clifford Chance on LinkedIn. Thanks very much.